this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. Civil rights audits, also known as racial equity audits, have become a new way for organizations to review their internal and external operations for systemic racism and discrimination. Although they do not necessarily involve the finance function, they do have a significant impact on a company's disclosures and its strategy. In this episode of the podcast, we speak with Valicia McDowell and Elena Mitchell, both of the law firm of Moore Van Allen, about the increasingly important role of civil rights audits and how they fit into an organization's push for transparency. Again, Felicia McDowell, I'm a partner at Mormon Allen, have been um, for many moons. I started at the firm over 20 years ago and helped to build our investigations practice here, which I co-head um, as, as part of Mormon Allen. And a big part of the actual uh, sort of non-racial equity audit work that I do is in the conduct management space generally. So mm-hmm. I've done very large platform reviews for significant companies, Fortune uh, 50 companies, where we're looking across the board, particularly in regulated spaces, and how those processes are working. Um, there are obviously harassment and discrimination components of that, but we look across all of the product types, all of the claims types. Um, and a lot of that work is really what led me um, in, in many ways to the racial equity audit work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in addition to that work, which is individual investigations, and again, those platform or, or process-wide reviews, um, I've also had a lifelong professional commitment to diversity. So I co-chair our diversity committee here at the firm. I've um, led the board of a significant regional institution that looks specifically at um, racial equity and, and equity as a general proposition across a lot of dimensions of diversity. Um, and so this has been a, a matter of personal passion for me. And it's nice to see those personal passions in my professional work uh, intersect here in the racial equity audit space, where I think it can do a lot of good for a lot of folks. Yeah. And that's something we're seeing a lot where people's passions are getting more aligned as as these sort of new metrics and new way of thinking about things are coming up, happening. Ms. Mitchell, maybe you could uh, describe a little bit about your background and where you come from. Sure. Yeah. So I'm an associate at Warren Van Allen. I dabble in a couple of different practice areas. Um, I do a lot of complex litigation work um, involving a wide variety of business and employment matters. So that includes um, business torts, contract disputes, antitrust litigation, a little bit of everything. Um, And then I also assist clients with financial regulatory and compliance issues and um, frequently uh, join forces with Felicia and um, assist with corporate and government investigations. And oftentimes what we're doing is providing guidance to employers who are seeking to prevent discrimination and harassment at their workplace places and um, think about ways to promote diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. So um, like Felicia, I also, you know, I try to stay involved in the community and do things outside of work. So I'm also a member of the Hispanic National Bar Association um, and different affinity groups, um, both at the firm and and externally. Great. Yeah. And, and um, I thought we'd dive right in because, you know, the subject matter is, is sort of unique. And, um, you know, that's around, 
you know, the the more a lot of the more discussions that I see happening regarding, you know, of course, regarding ESG and diversity, but specifically diversity audits. So maybe you could, we could start off. You could, could describe what a diversity audit is and what what a typical process involves. So, Elena, why don't you take a stab at the first piece of that? So what is the audit? And now maybe I can walk through the process. Does that work? Sure. Sure. So. Now more than ever, investors and stakeholders have really been paying greater attention to environmental, social, and governance, or ESG impacts of companies, as you mentioned earlier, Chris. And so they're also requesting and sometimes demanding that companies consider civil rights and social justice issues, often through diversity or racial equity audits. At a high level, a racial equity audit in particular is a formal analysis of a company's policies, practices, and initiatives as they relate to diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI, and the company's impacts on non-white stakeholders and communities of color. A diversity audit can be somewhat broader, and then it might consider issues relating not only to race and culture, but gender, sexuality, disability, all kinds of other things. Um, so either might consider whether a company's policies, practices, and programs are non-discriminatory and equitable, um, whether the company has mechanisms in place to monitor the effectiveness of its DEI policy statements, practices, and programs, and what changes could help a company produce more equitable outcomes and better its inclusivity. So these types of audits not only inform shareholders about their investments, but they can also help companies measure performance in terms of achieving social justice and other DEI goals. And there's a very large body of research spanning years and years that demonstrates that promoting these sorts of goals can increase profit and competitive advantage for companies. Conducting diversity and racial equity audits can also have positive reputational impacts for companies as well. So um, I agree with all of that. And I would like to draw a distinction before we get to the process, Chris, which is Mm. uh, lots of people use the term racial equity audit colloquially. Right. Um, Mm. Some of the work that is happening in this space, some of this uh, work is pure audit work. And we'll talk about that and sort of walk through that process. But a great deal of the work is really what I would consider to be um, forward looking anticipatory work. Uh, So companies, large and small, are really recognizing this shift, cultural shift in the marketplace and saying, "Okay, maybe I got a proxy demand. We'll talk a little bit about those. But maybe I got a proxy demand um, and it didn't pass or maybe um, I haven't received one. But I believe based on our position in the marketplace that we are likely to receive one in the next several years. And so uh, they may be conducting internal reviews under the attorney-client privilege, or sometimes not under the attorney-client privilege, to get in front of those issues. Um, so right. those are not technically audits um, in that they are, uh, you know, it's sort of a different type of methodology, but it's really important work that is happening and that we are, that we're involved in and that we encourage our clients to always consider when they're thinking about the, their risk profile around, um, you know, around the r- racial equity space. Um, hmm. So we can talk about that some more, but let's just talk about the audits now okay. for a few minutes. So um, I can tell you from personal experience, um, these audits can be quite time uh, and labor intensive endeavors. 
Um, no two audits are going to be the same because no two companies are the same and their position as it relates to these issues may be completely different. So if you look at some of the audits that have been conducted to date, um, some of them have been really subject specific audits um, because there was an incident that occurred. And for example, with Starbucks, where they really wanted to get to the bottom of what was happening in the uh, in the climate in the individual stores. And so it was very, very focused on those issues. And while there was some additional information that was provided around workplace, it really was focused on addressing a particular issue. Same with Airbnb. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, some of those audits have been quite comprehensive in nature, mm-hmm. where it's a soup to nuts because of the nature of the business. So we conducted an audit um, for CoreCivic where that was quite comprehensive um, with the support of management. Uh, because that is an entity that operates correctional and detention facilities in the company and or in the country. They're privately um, operated facilities. And of course, racial equity and civil rights considerations are paramount to the company. So they right. wanted a full view of, um, of those issues. So we did a comprehensive audit in that space. So the first thing that you will always do whenever you have one of these audits is to try to figure out you know, what's the scope? What are we trying to accomplish um, in this particular setting? I'm trying to make sure that you don't get any background noise here in my No, that's fine. Um, so, you know, what's the what's the typical scenario? So you would you would say we are going to either be looking at hiring an independent third party to do this work or we're going to bring in our own audit team, um, whether that's an internal audit team or a team of executives that are going to be tasked with this. There are obvious advantages to both approaches. Um, cost, obviously, is a consideration in bringing in an outside firm. A credibility of the work that you're doing is another consideration. Obviously, there's a lot of credibility that comes with having a third party conduct the work. Um, and then, but once you decide which direction you want to go, um, then it really becomes a question of what is the scope? What is the purpose? Are you gonna focus in on a specific issue? Are you gonna be more comprehensive? Um, What are the stakeholders that you're looking at? So a lot of folks naturally think about the human capital component of this. So the workforce considerations, and they're almost always um, top of mind when anyone's considering this work. But depending on the business that you're in, um, there may be lots of other areas that are natural fits. And there might be lots of other stakeholders, be they customers or individuals that live in communities where your facilities are located. Um, you know, there are lots of different stakeholders that you might need to consider based on your individual circumstances. So that's part of the scoping. Um, you want to make sure you're asking, are we going to look at our policies and our practices? And are we going to try to figure out if those are compliant? And so that would require a different um, audit team or a different set of skills to make sure that you had folks who had the ability to make those legal assessments as to compliance, if that is part of what you want to try to include within scope. Um, And again, just thinking about what data do you even have available to utilize to perform that kind of a review? Um, You know, one of the big things, and I think you can't really fully mitigate this issue, is that you're going to have people um, on all sides of, of the equation who are going to view your audit after you've completed it with their particular perspective. So you may have critics who believe that you weren't, um, that you weren't robust enough. You might have stakeholders within the, within the company who think that you were too robust and too critical. And so mm-hmm. really um, making sure that you are scoping the audit 
and being very clear at the outset about what you hope to accomplish with that effort um, so that you can help to manage some of those expectations. You can't you know, expect that everybody's going to be satisfied at the end. You do your best, but you really right. want to be clear about what you're trying to do. Um, and in some instances, what you're really trying to do is establish a baseline for the company where there may be no baseline. Um, and so you may be identifying that there are certain gaps or you know areas of opportunity um, so that over some period of time, you can fill those gaps and prioritize the work so that you can get those things accomplished. Um, if that's your goal at the outset, sort of being transparent about what you're hoping to achieve through the exercise is important. And then carrying that through um, the full exercise is also important. It sounds almost, um, and, and please, uh, if I'm phrasing this incorrectly, it almost sounds like the, you know you bring, you do these audits as a, a situational thing. Like you, it's not like you know when I think of an audit, it's an annual review. It's testing things on a continual basis. Is that is that how would you say that? So that reference? hasn't been the case yet for most companies, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, what will be interesting to see is sort of the second generation audits. Yeah. So for the for the companies that have done it, whether it's been internal or with some external disclosure or whether they've been fully external audits, um, what is the cadence of returning to that work to, to test whether or not you've moved forward? And I predict for you, it's not likely to be an annual cadence because it's a, you know, it's an expensive, um, yeah. you know, it's a heavy lift um, and it takes a while to move the needle on some of these issues. And so you might be looking at a three-year cadence, you might be looking at a five-year cadence, but I, but I would anticipate that the market that is pushing um, for these audits will be pushing for follow-up uh, information and the, the company should operate with that expectation in mind. But that's how you sort of start out. And then yeah. if you'd like, we can walk through sort of the meat of what happens when you're in the, in the thick of actually conducting the audit. Yeah, that'd be really interesting because, you know, that's one of the questions I had is like, you know, what, uh, you know, uh, coming from, you know, the financial audit space, mm -hmm. you know, there's all these, there's a common methodology and there's common terms and you, you test internal controls and you, you do, you know, and, you know, frankly, our audience, you know, absorbs and, 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 and thinks about those things as we need consistency and we need a common process um, to compare apples to apples. So how does that fit into a, uh, a diversity audit of some kind? So um, right now, not very well. Right. So mm -hmm. th there's not a common methodology for how these audits are conducted. Um, it's very different from what we're seeing, you know, sort of the coalescing in the ESG space where, there, you know, there's a desire to have common metrics. We might disagree about what those metrics would be, but at least there is a, you know, there is a push towards right. um, towards that. The issue with these types of racial equity or civil rights audits is that they are so specific to the business and so specific to the, the history of the company. So you might have two companies that are in the same industry and they may be offering similar products, but they may be delivering those products dramatically differently. They may be marketing the products differently. They may have completely different customer bases. Customer bases may have different socioeconomic backgrounds or racial backgrounds. And so if you were to sit down and try to scope an audit for those two companies, they might look quite different. Um, if you were really trying to get to 
an assessment of what's working and what's not working. Um, and so there's a while we relied quite heavily on quantitative data and have you know, in the audit work that we've done. Um, there's also a significant qualitative component to, to this exercise. So, um, you know, once you move into the information gathering stage of any of this work, you're going to be looking at existing data around um, HR. You might be looking at product delivery data. You might be looking at, um, mm. you know, metrics or, you know, other, you know, other data on your internet hits or who are you, who are you marketing to? Why are you only marketing to those folks? There could be all sorts of considerations um, that would, would result in some quantitative data that you could rely upon, but you will be testing that quantitative data against what you're getting in interviews, um, against what you're getting in employee surveys, customer surveys, um, you know, We've went out of our way in our that most recent public audit to um, speak with folks who were supportive of our company, folks who were critical of our company, who have very specific concerns. And then we would go and look at the data that was available to try hmm. to see if the data gave us any sense of whether the concerns were warranted, not warranted. You know, oftentimes there wasn't sufficient data to to reach a conclusion about that. And so in that scenario, you know, we would suggest that it would be a good idea to try to, you know, enhance the data collection processes and the data analysis processes so that you would have some visibility about whether those criticisms um, were valid. But again, that's all going to be very specific to the individual entity. But it it's not an audit that you would think of um, in, in terms of like PwC is coming in and we are going to get right, an right. audit of this process or this practice. Um, it's there's a lot more qualitative expectation in terms of um, especially in the in the space of the proxy demand space where you've got third parties yeah. that are asking for this information. They're communicating what their interests and what their concerns are. And a lot of that um, can only be elicited through qualitative means. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt, your need to evolve, your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping large and mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. Workday for a changing world. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about it's not the same thing as like a, a big four coming in. But although I have seen big four, you know, market some diversity audit mm-hmm. work. So it's it's not, it's certainly something you know, they think of. Absolutely. Um, what, where, uh, I guess there's sort of a chicken and egg thing, but where's demand coming for this? I mean, is it investors? Is it regulators? How would you describe that? So the, the most demand that we're seeing is really coming from, it's coming from investors in the mm-hmm. form of proxy. And then it's coming internally, right? So sometimes, again, these companies are getting proxy demands and, um, and not, having to respond to them because the shareholder, the overall shareholder pool has not voted in support of those proxy demands. Um, but that still ratchets up the intensity within the company and lots of companies just from a, a position of good stewardship, good management are saying, okay, this is coming. I have to know what's right. going on. Um, and so a lot of the work that we're seeing that we're getting, that we're doing is from individuals 
usually C-suite level, um, really senior folks coming out of different pockets of leadership saying, I want to understand these dynamics in as nuanced a way as I can possibly understand them before I have to make a public disclosure about them. So that's right. that's that's really a big part of it. But the fact that there have been so many of um, sort of these proxy demands and Elena, maybe you can talk a little bit about sort of the evolution of that. Um, that has been that was sort of the, the snowball getting set down the hill. Right. But but management has really paid attention to that. And, you know, I think that they're pivoting in a way that's really healthy for the marketplace. Yeah, Ms. Mitchell, do you have anything to add? Yeah, sure. I just add, you know, that if you look at how um, the first several of these began, um, some of them were prompted just by um, like looking into particular incidents that happened at, you know, for example, the Starbucks audit that came after an incident at a Philadelphia mm. Starbucks. And like Felicia mentioned, the Airbnb audit came after, um, you know, some guests complained about discrimination. So companies have definitely prompted some of these just wanting to look internally at what was going on themselves. But then um, the general public and shareholders and investors have really, um, they've had a lot of success um, as the 2021 proxy season um, kind of evidences in, in bringing these requests and then having companies conduct these audits. So, um, you know, in 2021, at least a dozen companies received shareholder proposals to conduct um, civil rights or racial equity audits. Um, companies like Amazon, Bank of America, um, Citigroup, Civic, a, a bunch, um, and at least four sought no action really from the SEC, and all of those requests were denied. Um, the majority of, of the companies ended up, um, well, after, um, after, let's see, sorry, I'm getting confused here. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> there's so um, many of them. <laughs> right, there are so many of them. Um, but you know, several of these companies have gone on to do these audits. They've learned a lot. Um, those that kind of fought against it um, didn't always have success. Um, and mm -hmm. so coming out of that, uh, this year's proxy season, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of of proposals that have been lodged with companies. Um, I believe at least 40 have received requests to conduct these sorts of audits going forward. And, and they're ranging in industries, too. Um, so in 2021, they seem to be more um, centralized in the financial services space. But they're, you know, tech companies, retail companies, consumer product companies now that are receiving these sorts of requests. So um, we're definitely seeing uh, more and more interest in, in these. What would you say to anyone? I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the position of, of um, our members who I mentioned, you know, a lot of them are responsible for disclosures and they think about disclosure. And then one of the things they usually think about is, you know, um, you know, disclosure is great, but 
screwing up a disclosure is worse. Right. Right. And, and if you if you, you know, leave something out intentionally or not, you know, that can cause more problems. So what do you say to anybody who's thinking about that, saying, you know, especially when you talk, well, you talked about the methodology is sort of evolving. Disclosures are not really, it seems to me that um, there's no consistency there. Um, what do you say to those who say, well, this, you know, how do I avoid causing more problems than I'm addressing? Sure. So one thing I would say is if you're conducting your own audit and then publishing your own audit, I think that risk goes up um, precipitously, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you are providing information to me, I'm conducting an audit and then I produce a report. And that is what has typically happened in these scenarios. Um, The underlying data that is being provided, obviously, that goes back um, to the company and you want to, the company will have a responsibility to ensure that the data was fair and accurate and complete and, you know, and what have you, but all of the representations about the data are then mine as the auditor, if I'm actually publishing an outside audit, if you have chosen not to do that and the company is making those disclosures and representations about the data on their own, now you're in the, you know, the full C of, um, you know, disclosure issues. But, you know, I would also say if you've got an auditor working on this, have that auditor stay in close contact, with your disclosure council, because there may be things where you've gotten a different cache of data and it may look slightly different, or you want to sort of talk through utilizing data that was also utilized for your public disclosure so that there is some harmony in that. So that when people are reading the report, they're better able to understand how to bridge the gap between what the auditor is suggesting our potential weaknesses, because those are opinions of the auditor. Um, but right. to be able to bridge that to the to you know previous disclosures that were being made by the company. And so making sure that you're engaging someone who has an understanding of that. And this is part of the reason why sometimes people don't like lawyers, but lawyers can be very handy. <laughs> um, that's part of the reason why having lawyers do that and you know having lawyers at at firms with with broad practices um, so that folks can draw on, we certainly have drawn on um, you know, the strength of our SEC practice and others just to have sensitivity around the disclosure considerations that you're talking about right now. Yeah. Well, one of the things, you know, you, you mentioned internal audit briefly a while ago. Um, one thing I want to ask, you know, again, given our audience, it's mostly people in the finance function. Do they have a, a role, a larger role in this? Or a, I mean, it seems to me you're, you're talking about a lot of compliance and a lot of human resources issues. What role does the finance function play in this or if at all? So we have typically not done this work in conjunction with internal audit for, for a whole host of reasons. So if we are doing um, one of those non-public, uh, mm-hmm. non-published audits, uh, we may be doing that under the, under the attorney client privilege so that we can offer legal advice right. um, to to that client so that they can make adjustments so that they are, their practices and policies are enhanced or, um, you know, meet or exceed whatever the legal requirements are in a given jurisdiction. Um, And so obviously the inclusion of internal audit in that exercise creates issues for the privilege. And so, um, so we typically don't find ourselves there. Uh, And really, if you're going to be in an internal audit phase or or you're going to have internal audit doing the work, then all of the work is going to be up for grabs 
whether you intended for it to be up to for grabs or mm. not. And so that has not been um, that has not been a model that we've seen typically utilized. Now you might have finance function or you might have other business functions feeding data into a qualitative qualitative assessment. And so they may have representatives um, that are participating in that regard under the privilege and a privilege review or not under the privilege and an audit review. Um, that's that's much more typical. Um, the the one thing that you mentioned earlier that I do think bears um, a little bears a little bit of additional uh, focus here is the use of auditing firms, you know, the big four or right. others. And we have certainly worked closely with um, with members of the big four in this space, whether it is it's um, having them assist from a from a data crunching perspective, especially in these uh, let's call them the the conduct risk management portfolio type reviews mm-hmm. that I was talking about at the outset. Um, they can be really wonderful partners in that work to try to understand um, how those systems function, what might be the disconnect between um, what you think you're getting out on the qualitative end of that system versus what's going in from a quantitative perspective um, in that system. Uh, So, you know, there are real places where they can plug in in those sort of broader HR processes that can be quite helpful for um, this type of audit review. What we're also seeing is, um, you know, big five accounting firms jumping in on subject specific reviews. So we've hmm. you know, got a client or have clients that um, in anticipation of future public audits have identified particular areas within their umbrella where they believe that there's some opportunity for improvement hmm. and um, and have engaged outside counsel and, um, you know, and these outside consultancies or outside accounting firms to dig into the data to test that theory well in advance of a public disclosure. So that's really where we're seeing those firms have the most play and and they're valuable partners in that work. Great. Yeah, I wanted to sort of wrap up the conversation. So we always try to thinking about foreign looking things, you know, what 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 are you what do you anticipate and especially in this space because you know just following compliance and um regulation or even anything there seems to be an ebb and a flow to it right and and um so what do you what do you think about the the future of diversity audits the uptake especially given changes in the political you know the the you know the political view the compliance view what do you think is is it in the, as as a is the horse out of the barn as they say it, it certainly feels that way um mm-hmm. and you know i am having again i practiced since the late 90s um I, you know i've sort of seen that ebb and flow yeah. in these issues and I, and i don't doubt that there will be some um, as mm-hmm. it relates to this issue, be there changes politically at the national level or otherwise. Um, but the core of the work is really an examination on the communities that are impacted. And I and my sense is that communities of color and socioeconomically challenged communities, which are not always the same communities, right? Yeah. That they that there is an interest and figuring out if the market can help to address some of the disparities that have existed that the market helped to create. And yeah. so um, 
And for that reason, I, I do think that these examinations are going to continue in some form. And so it just becomes a question of, um, do you want to be flat footed or do you want to sort of get in front of that uh, train? And so, you know, and companies are taking very different positions about that, but it's interesting to watch. So I, I don't think that these civil rights or, or equity audits are going anywhere anytime soon. I would expect you know, if we reconvene this podcast, um, <laughs> Elena will probably tell you that there will be a significant uptick in um, these demands in the proxy season, in the upcoming proxy season. There, I, my sense from um, my discussions with other folks in the space is that there are ongoing discussions right now um, between companies and, um, and large shareholder funds to try to determine whether or not agreements can be reached in anticipation of next year's proxy season to avoid those types of proxy demands. So a lot of negotiation that, that's already happening in anticipation of the next proxy season. So I think that at least for the foreseeable future, we're going to see this work um, have have a lot of focus from shareholders, and especially given um, participation in the marketplace by average everyday Americans that are now represented by their pension funds. Um, and folks want to be socially responsible in those investments. And there's enough investing to go around um, to invest where they feel more comfortable um, and where they feel people are being more transparent. And so there, I think the real market dynamics um, driving that both um, in the publicly traded space, but also in the PE space. Ms. Mitchell, did you have any thoughts on that, on the future of it? Yeah, I just, I completely agree with all the points um, that Felicia just made. I think, um, you know, you've probably heard you know, that it, conducting these sorts of audits are not just good business, but the right thing to do. And I think a lot of companies are, believe that. Um, and so they're deciding to undertake these audits and, there's public support for them, clearly. Um, and then, you know, I saw a headline, I think just last week, um, there was a bill that passed in the House um, mm. called the Financial Services Racial Equity Inclusion and Economic Justice Act. Um, and one piece of that actually would require certain regulated um, financial institutions to disclose diversity and inclusion policies and practices to their regulators. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, we'll obviously see, you know, what develop what develops there. I know the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Diversity and Inclusion um, previously has discussed requiring banks to conduct racial equity audits every two years. Um, so, you know, we'll see we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to watch. Right, and the, I think the federal government's focus now on pay equity audits is also just it's another driver that's sort right. of bringing um all of this data to the fore for folks and so um more to come interesting times great i appreciate you both taking the time thank you it's a very interesting conversation i thank you very much thank you chris we appreciate thank you so it much, chris.